Hey guys, what's up? And welcome to Humans of Magic, the show that gets deep and personal with your favorite players and personalities from Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, James Sue. Today we are talking to the Pro Tour Guilds of Ravnica winner, Andrew Ellenbogen. In addition to working on this podcast, I have a full-time job as one of the co-founders of Cardboard Live, a company that's trying to change the way that you interact with board games and card games online. We've recently had the privilege of sponsoring Andrew Ellenbogen for the Pro Tour as part of Team Cardboard Live. Initially, I just wanted to talk to Andrew about the Pro Tour, but it turns out he's much more interesting than just the guy that won the Pro Tour. You'll get the whole spectrum of our conversation here about his early days playing magic, chess, his favorite foods, and a whole bunch of cool stuff. We hope you can stick around for the whole listen. Here's my conversation with Andrew Ellenbogen. Pride of Conquerors for Andrew Ellenbogen. He's your champion. Congratulations, Andrew. You are the champion of Pro Tour Guilds of Ravnica. Welcome to Humans of Magic. Today I am happy, excited, energized to have the Pro Tour Guilds of Ravnica winner, Platinum Pro, and all-around good guy, Andrew Ellenbogen. Andrew, how's it going? Uh, pretty good, thank you. Uh, although I don't know if anyone can really say that it's going poorly uh, after winning a Pro Tour so recently. That's right. And how has life changed for you? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, quite a bit has changed. Before... I wouldn't say that no one had ever knew who I was prior to me winning the Pro Tour in the sense that like certainly people who play a lot of Grand Prix or some other pros or maybe people who are very in tune with the tournament scene had, had some idea of who I was prior to winning the Pro Tour, but nothing, like it's been an order of magnitude change. I mean, literally, so the day that I won the Pro Tour, my Twitter follower count went from like 230 to like 1,200, like I gained 1,000 followers. And like that's just insane and then like you know i'm getting all these congratulations from just millions of people that i some of whom i i don't even really know that well or that i met one time but like you know we fell off touch and like i'm getting all these requests to do magic sort of type things uh like this podcast other podcasts i wrote an article for star city games uh which is was published on the premium side uh just today uh like it's just been a big change in terms of like the percent of my time that I spend doing magic related things. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, that's kind of a trade off, you know, it's a, it's a trade off in that, like, uh, like I left my job, not, not like I I quit my job. I mean, I left, I left early uh, (laughs) once this week because I had to do so many things, uh, but I wanted to do them. Uh, I just had to do them. And so I'm trying to reevaluate like what this means for me going forward. Like, am I going to try to work less hours in general? Cause to clarify here, uh, I, I am a full-time software engineer. That, that's like my day job. So it very much like I've always been a weekend warrior, but I don't know. If, if there's ever a time to cut back on that a little bit, it's now. Um, oh, I've also been on two streams, which I didn't mention before, both of which were really fun, uh, just with mostly friends of mine. But, you know, I still – something I certainly wasn't asked to do before despite that. So, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it's been all good, right? Hopefully there hasn't been anything – negative i mean it's got to be all good oh yeah i mean honestly it's been awesome i i was kind of worried uh when i top it because twitch chat is often not kind to people 
who are on the stream, I guess, uh, especially when they're playing against like a fan favorite like LSV, and especially when like LSV is getting very unlucky, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but honestly, like I rewatched the finals and I read the Twitch chat comments, and people were like generally seemed to react to me pretty positively. I'm not entirely sure why, but whatever it is that I'm doing, I appear to be doing it right. So, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I overall, I, I, yeah, I can't complain. Honestly, it's just been completely amazing. Well, I think it's just the the magic of magic coverage, right? It's just the fact that you are this player for many of us who are watching you on Twitch. You are representing the everyman magic player because we know who the LSVs and you know some of the more well-known players are. And I know that you played on a couple of pro tours, but it's almost like as viewers, we could put ourselves in your shoes and really see the quest or the journey that you've been taking all the way to the very top. And the other thing I just want to add is that you just seem so genuinely happy and excited and humble to be there, which is really cool. Yeah, I I, I appreciate the compliment. Um, I mean, I certainly was incredibly happy. I mean, it, it was the happiest I've been in, I don't know, a very long time. It would be difficult for me to say exactly how long I've been that happy last, but a very long time. I was just ecstatic and I mean I I do I try to be accurate about how I view myself and I think I am a at least in the area of abilities at magic I think I am pretty decently self-aware although I don't know perhaps everyone says that about themselves uh it's hard for me to say but I think it's fair for me to say that like I did not in my life think I would ever top eight a pro tour. I did not in my life think I would ever win a pro tour. I think I was very unlikely to do so. Um, I mean, I still think I'm very unlikely to do so. I don't think that like you're going to see me top eight the next pro tour. I don't think that like I'm going to make hall of fame or something. Uh, I just think that like on this weekend I played pretty well. I got pretty lucky. I had a pretty good deck choice and you know, the stars aligned. Uh, and that happens in magic and it's great when it happens in favor uh even if it's pretty unfortunate when it does not happen in your favor um sorry lsv uh, <laughs> but i mean that's kind of how that's kind of how i feel still i i still don't feel that like i am good enough at magic to have top 80 to pro tour even though i factually have done so um which is kind of a weird place to be but that is how i feel about magic right now um I think you have a good mindset because it's about staying hungry, I think. It's about the fact that even though you've accomplished what you have done, which I think for hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of players, we dream about being exactly where you are. But yet, at the same time, it seems like you are self-aware that you have lots of room to improve and to get better before you uh, become a Hall of Fame player, right? Yes, I certainly feel that. And I I mean, I hope that I'm not at my peak skill. I hope that I will continue to improve. And I mean, I have, I will freely admit that I have felt for a while, for the last about year, I have felt that I was playing the best magic I have ever played. Um, which is not necessarily saying Pro Tour Top 8 magic or Hall of Fame magic or what have you. But I do think that I could tell I was playing better. And that certainly felt great, even though I didn't have this like big finish. Um, and now I guess I do. And now hopefully the rest of the world knows that I'm a lot better than I used to be as well. Um, but yeah. That's awesome. It's really, 
really good to hear that the your hard work has paid off, basically. Yeah, and I mean, just just to be clear about my relationship with the game, because I don't, I, I think most people listening to this probably are not super aware of this, uh, which is that like, so I play a lot of GPs, uh, like for anyone. Uh, I fly all over the U.S. playing GPs. I drive pretty long distances to get to them. Um, I'm not saying that I play like the most GPs of anyone, but just like as far as like people who you have never heard of, I play a lot of GPs. And I do that mostly because I think GPs are awesome. I think GPs are fun. Uh, I have a lot of friends who play a lot of GPs, and I see them every time I do this. It's kind of like a big reunion of people that I like. And I also just really like playing competitive magic. I mean, to say if I if I didn't really like it, I wouldn't do this. Uh, it's a lot of time and money and effort to invest. Um, but this means that like I, you know, I, I'm I, I'm not like a literal. I don't know how to phrase it. Sorry, um, I'm I'm flubbing this now. Uh, uh, it wasn't like you just played your first GP qualified, and it basically I think what you're trying to say, or what I'm inferring, is that it's not an overnight success. You had grinded hard on the professional circuit, competitive circuit, for quite some time. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, I, I literally, I mean, I played like at least ten or fifteen GPs this year. I will, I played at least ten or fifteen GPs the previous year. I'm playing, you know greater than like i'm playing a gp a month at least plus the messages typically plus rptqs like ultimately i am playing magic tournaments for the last several years like multiple times every month you know i'm driving long distances i'm flying i i kind of feel like i have put in a lot of hours and that that is to some extent paid off although again i, I still could be better but i feel that my story so okay to talk a little bit about this so my, my friend sam Islandfeld, who's is also a great player and who i've known for many years uh when Sam Einfeld top the Pro Tour, it was his literal first Pro Tour. Sam literally went from zero to hero in, like, no time flat. That's, like, what happened. Um, I think my story's a little different than that. Uh, perhaps it's a small distinction, but I think the distinction for my story is, I mean, my first GP was 10 years ago now. Like, I have been playing competitive Magic for many years. I have been grinding. I have been, you know, getting those 11 fours, those min caches, those 10-5 for a single Pro Point. Like... I, prior to winning the Pro Tour becoming Platinum, was a silver level pro mostly on, like, two-point finishes. You know, like, mostly on just, like, every GP I showed up, I 6 2 into day two, I would have, like, another 3-2 finish on, or, sorry, you know, whatever finish, hit 11-4, get my two points, get $250, which doesn't even pay for my flight, and then fly to another one the next weekend. That that was my life. And, I mean, probably still will be my life, but with more benefits. Um and so I do think that my story is more of a culmination of a long grind than a literal everyman spike. But yeah, that, that's, I guess, what I'm saying. Nice. And we'll definitely get into that in a little bit. But first, Andrew, I wanted to sort of, because I, I, we all saw the coverage, what happened at the Pro Tour, but I want to get inside your mind a little bit, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Okay. So full disclosure, I... I'm working on a startup called Cardboard Live, and we sponsored six players for the Pro Tour. You, Andrew, happened to be one of them. So for us, it was sort of like winning the lottery in some kind of, some kind of weird way. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. And so, you know, we had our team of six. Uh, our fearless leader, Wilson Hunter, recruited you guys. And after day one, Andrew Ellenbogen, 7-1. Max Mix, 6-2. Uh, we had another player 6-2. We had Vidi at, I think, 5-3. And then I thought, 
Hmm, that's pretty good. All right. Day one, we had, you know, pretty good conversion. We had a lot of guys going to day two. That's awesome. And I'm in the China, China time zone. So I didn't get to watch day one live. I didn't watch day two live. After day two, my friend messaged me and says, James, congratulations, your team, someone on your team made top eight. And then I, I went crazy. I was like, wow, okay. I got to look up who this person is. He, he made a, he made, he made top eight. That's amazing. That's going to be great airtime. You know, he's wearing the cardboard live Jersey. And then I actually stayed up in China to start watching the top eight. It started with your first match and I watched that and it was very getting very late. And I said to myself, okay, he won the first round. That's awesome. Chances are he is going to be not super successful against some of the, the more skilled players in the, in the semis or the finals. So yeah, uh, let, me, let me go to bed. And when I wake up, I'm going to see what happens. And I wake up and I think it must have been pretty early. So the pro tour must have just concluded maybe half an hour ago. And then I see Andrew Ellenbogen, pro tour Gilda Ravnica champion. Yeah. <laughs> and I just jumped up i i i didn't know you personally at the time but i have never felt such happiness just i mean i'm happy that anyone wins a pro tour but i saw your i saw the speech i saw i saw everything that was going on and i i just can't even begin to imagine you know what was going on in your mind so i'm hoping that i can sort of retrace things a little bit maybe we can start from from day one day one you finished seven and one was there anything that was on your mind at that time, you know, at the conclusion of day one? Yeah, well, I, okay, I can talk about it a little bit. Um, I mean, basically, so, okay, I mean, in general, I will state that I'm pre pretty good under pressure. Uh, that's something that's been true of me for many years. Uh, I mean, like, actually, I kind of had the reverse problem growing up. Uh, my problem was that, like, I was so confident I would succeed at tests and stuff that, like, I had trouble making myself prepare because I just had zero nervousness or stress whatsoever about it. Um, but after day one, I was honestly totally fine. I didn't have any trouble. Uh, you know, we went out, to, we all went out to dinner. Uh, I had a pretty reasonable burger. Um, I'm a big fan of burgers. Uh, and I went, I went to bed. I, I didn't think much of the seven one. I mean, obviously seven one's an amazing record. Uh, but you know, I, my, my goal for this tournament was 11, five. And the reason that was my goal for the tournament was because I knew that if I 11-5, you get an instant qualification to the next PT, you get 10 pro points, and I was already silver, so that put me very close to being gold. So I suspected that if I 11-5, it would mean, like, a lot of pro tours in a row. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, I'm 7-1. All I need to do to 11-5 is to, like, uh, go 4-4, which isn't that strong a record. It's a tough field, and I'll need something to play well, but I, you know, I didn't have any big dreams. I I knew that top ending was possible, and I knew it would be awesome if I did. But honest, I'm like being totally honest when I say like I had no expectation of doing so, and I would would have been very happy to 11-5 the Pro Tour. Um, in fact, uh, funnily enough, a friend asked me. Okay, he asked me the following question: If you have the option to lock in 10-6, exactly the record 10-6 for every Pro Tour you will ever play for the rest of your life, like would you accept? And I, sn I, I immediately accepted. I was like, yes, I certainly would. Um, <laughs> Stay on the train, right? Uh, yeah. Well, if you if you have that record every Pro Tour, uh, six Pro Points every Pro Tour, which times four Pro Tours is 24, which means you only need about like another 12 points to hit gold. Hitting 12 points in 
in your remaining slots is pretty easy. That's like you could do that with like six twos, six eleven fours pulled over the course of a year. So it basically means you'd be gold for life and on the PT forever. And I, I was like, that would be awesome. That's really all I want. Maybe I will do better occasionally, but it cannot be that frequent. Um, so that's how I felt the night before. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> that, 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 that worked out to be. And then tell me more about day two. So you start day two and how did the, how did the day, the day go for you? What was going on in your mind? Well, the first thing that happened is that um, my draft deck was really bad. And I knew it was really bad. Uh, my draft was a disaster. I think I, I think I screwed it up. I think I made, I think my pick three is really wrong um, of the draft, which which anyone can view if they want. But basically, the situation is that I take, I pass a Whisper Agent and I take a Boros card, and I and I I think that's too committal at the time because my two picks are like a good blue black hybrid card and a Boros card. Um, and I think I should just take Whisper Agent, even though it's a much weaker card. Um, anyway, the point is, I train wrecked my own draft. And my, I knew my deck was terrible, and I was like, oh, God, this is this is just like, this is not going to work out. I'm going to 0-3 this draft, and I'm going to be 7-4, and then I'm just going to have a medium-constructed record, like, you know, something like 2-3 two, two, like two, or whatever, and I'm going to miss 11-5, and I'm going to miss gold, and, like, my life, will, I'll just have wasted the 7-1. So all this stuff um, was sort of going through your head as soon as you made that pick, or... Well, more like later in the draft when I realized that like Demir was hideously open and Boros was super closed. Um, it turns out that there's like four Boros drafters in the row. But yeah, when I well, that, that's certainly my thought when I'm peeking at my draft deck and going to register my deck, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then constructed rounds start, and I just things just I, I managed one win with a deck against Mark Jacobson, very strong player. Um, but his deck I think was poorly matched up against mine, even though my deck was like worse objectively. Anyway, then I get stretched rounds, and it seems like in the stretched rounds, I just can't lose. Everything keeps going my way, just, like, round after round. Like, many absurd and unlikely events happen. Like, I don't know, I win this game against Green Black, where, like, I draw all four venerated Loxodons, and so my opponent, like, literally looks at the finality in their hand and realizes that it kills none of my creatures because they're all 5-5s, and then, like, finds back a Ravenous Chupacabra and casts it and kills one of my four 5-5 creatures. Like, it just, like... It was surreal. I was running so hot, and I just like, wow, like this is crazy. Like, maybe somehow I can actually do it. But then I lost to Yuya. Um, yeah, favorable matchup, but Yuya's very, very good. Um, soundly beat me despite that. Um, I've beaten Yuya in the past. I've actually beaten him twice, but yeah, this time it was not to be. I think it was at a GP, right? That you and Max McVitie were playing in yeah that's correct it was gp minneapolis uh i did top i beat him in the swiss and then i beat him in top eight actually is what happened um but in that scenario and in that scenario i was also advantaged the matchup and and was able to convert on that advantage i guess um i had it was just a yeah and i you know it was nice because like uh after i beat him like the key card was the seldrazi displacer that i was playing and he wasn't and it was really really good in the mirror Mm -hmm. uh it was like a bank company mirror and I remember afterwards, Yuya like points to this placer and is like, "That card is very good." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "This is this is like the highlight of my career so far yeah. as a match player." Game um, recognized <laughs> game, got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so you lost uh, to Yuya in the in the pro tour in the pro tour itself. Yes. Okay. I lost to you in the pro tour, and that was my fourth loss. And everybody was telling me up to that point that X four at this pro tour, this is the largest pro tour ever was very unlikely to make top eight. They thought the X4 was a long shot. Like, maybe one would slip in, is what I was told. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. So, 
I go to play my last round against Mark Jacobson. Still on the line. Um, I've locked up my 11-5 at this point, which is great. Anything else is gravy to me. You know, I'm... I feel good, but, like, a win would, like, make me, like, instantly gold as opposed to, like, needing to, like, string up some finishes to make gold, which is nice. You know, it means, like, 2,000 additional dollars. So uh, I play against Mark Jacobson. And both Mark and I have looked at the standings. We've done the math. You know, we have friends helping us out with the math. Um, and possibly the same friend, actually. But that's not the point. Uh, so we both believe that we are dead. Uh, for topic, we think we we cannot make it. We think we are playing a match for ninth. Mm -hmm. So I play this match against Mark Jacobson, and uh, I think I'm gonna. I, I honestly think the match that match is also unfavorable for me. Uh, like he was playing like main deck ritual sweat, main deck sweepers, lots of hate. Uh, I was pretty scared, but I somehow put out the win. Just had a nuts draw in game three and was able to defeat him. And then I get out of the feature match arena, and I have. Getting out of the rematch was one of the greatest moments I've ever had because literally, you have, to, you have to understand, I was very sure I was dead. Like, I had just like thought there was absolutely no way. And the thing that happened is, I knew this from when I was in the feature match arena. The software had made an error. Uh, Wizard software definitely not known for being the best, you know. And uh, they some had some issue where some people were played again in constructed after already playing constructed, and so they had this repair. And after the repair happened. I was actually alive, but of course I didn't know that. Um, after the Reaper happened, I could make top eight only if two specific matches broke my way. One of which was Wilson Mock choosing to dream crush his opponent, where Wilson Mock is just a lock. And, it, where, and where his opponent is Makahito Mahara, also a Hall of Famer, one of the best ever to play, etc., etc. Um, but all that happened was Mock did dream crush. He did beat Makahito Mahara, locking himself up into the one seed, as I assume why he did this, um, and, and knocking Mahara out of top eight. Um... And so when I got out of the feature match arena, Ari Lax, uh, who's another of my old friends, he's from Michigan, so that's how I know him. And Ari goes, I I'm like, Ari goes, I, I believe you are just in top eight. And I'm like, well, like, how likely is it? And Ari's like, well, you're up 5% in tiebreakers. So I believe the most likely way that you miss top eight is that a meteor annihilates the site and we all die. Uh, <laughs> I <believe that> it... <laughs> I'm sorry. Please continue. No, I mean, it was a ridiculous statement, but that's literally what he said. He, he thought that, you know, my, my odds of missing due to getting breaker jumped were lower than my odds of getting missing by uh, Meteor Annihilation. Mm -hmm. Now, I think he was being hyperbolic. Uh, Matthias Hunt, who's another of my good friends, messaged me on Facebook and said, said that, like, I am a substantial favorite, but, like, that Ari's being – what Ari said is crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Matthias might be right, but I was overwhelmed at that moment. I was like – Holy crap! I, somehow, some way, I top eight a pro tour. You know, regardless of what happens from here, this is an accomplishment that I will always get to take with me. It's an accomplishment that comes with a lot of fame, um, money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I still didn't think I was going to do very well in the tournament. Uh, I still had no faith um, in that, honestly. Um, but yeah, just that, happy to be there. It sounds like once I reached the top eight, I was certainly just happy to be there. Yes, um, <laughs> I know that's a stereotypical phrase, but. Uh, it was certainly true of me once I reached the top eight. I it just, I, again, I, I don't know if I will ever top eight another pro tour. I hope that I will, and I hope that I will improve to the point where I can be someone who, you know, people are on lookout to top eight every weekend. But I don't know if that will happen. Um, and what was going through your mind during the top eight? Because we all saw what happened on camera, but I would love for you to take me through maybe each match and just anything you can re remember from that. 
Yeah, okay, sure. Well, I mean, I guess the first thing is I'll mention here is, like, the, is talk a little bit about the night before because I think it's pretty relevant, which is that, like, so I mentioned before that I'm pretty not nervous in general, but I will state that the night before the PT Top 8, I was very nervous. Um, it's, like, the first time I've been nervous in many years. I just... I sort of knew this was a sh- this was my shot. This is my shot to, to make something happen, to somehow like some way, um, which is a phrase I seem to keep using, but somehow some way succeed in a pro tour top eight. Mm-hmm. And so I just really didn't want to blow it, and so I just had a ton of trouble sleeping, um, which rarely happens before match tournaments. And I was tossing and turning, and I my friends were kind of loud when they were testing my match upstairs, which I really appreciate they did, but they weren't the quietest. Um, so I. I got maybe five hours sleep. Uh, I wasn't feeling so great the morning of, but I, you know, and I was very nervous uh, as I'm shuffling up. But Wilson Mock is a great guy. I didn't know him before this weekend, but I know him now. And he was laughing and joking before the round, and that's kind of how I like to take my matches too. Pretty casual demeanor, even with high stakes, and so that kind of put me at ease. And then as soon as we started playing the games, I just there's just this moment in 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 the quarterfinals where I just like suddenly realized that, like, it just doesn't matter. Like, you know, if I'm playing at FNM, if I'm playing in a playtest game, if I'm playing for the fun of it, I am ultimately, I'm very spiky when it comes to Magic. I'm very competitive. I am playing Magic to prove something, and the thing that I am usually typically trying to prove is, like, look at how good I am at this thing. And if that's your goal, then all you have to do is make the right play every turn of every game. Do your best to achieve that. And... The right play doesn't change if you're under the feature match lights. The right play doesn't change when you're on the Pro Tour stage. The right play is the right play. And I, you know, this white weenie deck I was playing, I practiced it a lot. I was pretty comfortable with it by that point in the tournament. And I'm going to see even before the tournament. And so I just played and I just, nothing mattered. Um, Once the cards started being laid, uh, I realized it was just another match. And I don't think I got in my head too much after after that first few turns of that first match honestly um and that may have contributed to my success uh <laughs> hard to say but uh yeah um i mean the worst part is that i know that i made mistakes in the quarterfinals uh and i and i recognize them in hindsight during the game during game five particularly i caught multiple errors that i made after the fact and i was like oh god why, why did i do that um and they that may have caused like a snowballing effect but luckily Wilson flooded out at the end, so I was I was able to win. But I just I remember at some point playing a Dauntless Bodyguard and then targeting a creature and then being like, wait, why did I target that? That didn't make any sense. Like, what am I doing? Like, I'm so bad. <laughs> but I yeah, ultimately I was I, I was able to get through it and I kept winning. And they the other thing about being in the Pro Tour top eight that I think people don't really realize is how much waiting there is. Uh, it sounds kind of weird, but like. What happens is, like, coverage keeps pausing your match so that they can see the start of your game, right? So, like, the other match will play for a bit, and if they see the other match is close to finishing whatever game they're on, then they'll pause your match as soon as you finish so that they can show the start of your next game while they shuffle up, and you kind of go back and forth like that. That's brutal, because you just lose your momentum. It's like a sports team where they they get forced to call a timeout. It's exactly like that, yeah. Um, because sometimes you're, like, you know, you're thinking really hard, you're involved in the match, you're like, you, like, think really hard about your opening hand, you're like, okay keep and then you sit there staring at your keep for just like minutes at a time until you finally get told to start and sometimes that's so stressful because like maybe it's a risky keep like i you know yeah you start you start overthinking it right 
right. You're like, oh god, my hand actually has one land. Like, what am I doing here? Like, what if what if this doesn't work out? Like, I know I have Legion's Landing, but maybe I won't get to flip it this game. Like, and you just start going insane, and that can be nerve wracking too. But again, I just found that as soon as the cards started being played, I just it just didn't matter. None of that mattered. I just had to play, um, and that was really uh, freeing, I guess, for me. So you beat Wilson in the quarters. Uh, tell me what your semis match was like. Yeah, well, honestly, in the semis match, I wasn't was felt pretty good in my probably felt the best of the three matches in terms of my mental game. Um, I didn't have this like new experience playing the feature match that I had to shake off. You know, I was pretty ready for it. I'd played a lot of the mirror all weekend. Nothing weird was happening here. Um, I can tell you the one card that was on my mind when I was playing the semis match was like my so. My friends at my team were testing my semifinals matchup after I won the quarterfinals, right? I didn't do any of that. I was trying to de-stress and relax and be as ready as possible for the next round. But um, Max McVitie, who's probably my closest Magic friend, I keep I mention him a lot, but only because uh, I owe so much of my success to him. Um, Max was testing uh, with uh, some of the Tower Games guys. Uh, I think this match was against uh, Matt Stanky or Daniel Wisner, anyway. Uh, they were playing, and... Uh, I just remember watching Max being in the spot where he's decide whether to play or unsettle the wreckage. And he's like pretty far ahead and it's like hellishly complicated. And I was like, oh, so that's, that's, and I was like, remember watching him and being like, okay, that's what I need to worry about. Like, I really don't want to end up in a spot where like I have to just like horribly play or unsettle the wreckage. It's, it's like such, so terrifying. And so it's like, there's a phrase I use to refer to magic situations where like no one could possibly know what the right play is. Um, I refer to them as being unknowable. Um, and I felt like a lot of spots with respect to Settle were like that. Like, who knows what creature's supposed to attack with? Who knows how big you're supposed to go? Maybe you're supposed to ignore it and lose if they have it. It's only a one of. So I was really worried about it. But then, like, in the actual match, my opponent never ended up representing it. I'm not saying he, like, made a mistake. I'm just saying the way his draws and hands and plays worked out, it never ended up being true that he was supposed to pass the four man up. Which meant that, like, my match was incredibly unstressful. I just played my game... Nothing weird happened. I didn't worry about any strange cards. Um, and I, yeah, I just played. Uh, and I beat him fairly easily. I mean, I guess a 3-1 might not be easily, but I certainly felt like I felt good about the match at, at every point of every game. Even even the one I lost. I mean, I, I knew I was losing, but I felt pretty good about what was happening. So I, that match was very non-stressful for me, to be, to be to be frank. That's good. And then, obviously, the, the big one was the now the finals with... LSV, I mean, one of the all-time greats. So tell me what was in your mind, what was going through your mind as you sat down for that match. I mean, I mentioned this briefly in my coverage interview, and I, I'll try not to be too redundant, but I mean, the real truth of the matter is that I thought I was going to lose every turn of every game of that entire match for the first four games. I just didn't think there was any way. I thought it was impossible. I mean, the mirror is pretty play draw dependent. Uh, I think being on the play is like more relevant in the mirror than any other match in standard would be, is my opinion. Uh, I don't know exactly. I don't have like a percentage that it is, uh, but it's a lot. And I, you know, LSV is better than I will ever be. I, I think I can say that like with pretty high confidence. Um, I, he's literally the fourth or fifth best player ever to play the game. Like most people think it's like there's Finkel, Kai, Paulo, and then it's between LSV and Nassif at number four. So, yeah, nine pro to top eights. Uh, and then, 
To make matters worse, he's playing a build of the deck that I think gives up a lot in other places, but is very favored in the mirror. And that just made it feel so insurmountable. Like, it just made it feel like there's nothing I could possibly do to win. So, like, when he when he per- curved out with, like, this flawless draw in, in, I think, game four, that was, I was just like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I can't win, and also, I could never win this game. Um, I was like, that's, that's very normal. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so, uh, story checks out. Um, and then suddenly we're in game five. You know, I was just playing each game, playing with the time, and I just suddenly realized this is game five. This is game five of the Pro Tour. Like, I'm like, okay, that's nice. You know, when I lose, I can tell everyone that, like, I made it to game five against LSV. He's really good. Like, I, it'll be, you know, I, I, I showed myself to be good at this. You know, I showed, I, I've proved something, uh, which is nice. Because, again, I'm pretty spiky. So, like, I... Yeah, you took it as far as you could take it. Game five, right? With your back against the wall against one of the greatest players ever in a matchup that was not favorable based on the builds of the deck. Yes, exactly. So I, I felt pretty good about what was happening there, even though I thought I was certainly going to lose game five. And then Luis just starts mulligan. Like, he just mulligans. And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, he's on six, but, like, given the matchup and the fact that he's on the play, like, my expectation is that he's still overall favored. Like, that doesn't mean much. So I'm, I'm still pretty calm at that point. And then he goes to five, like, pretty quickly. Like, LSV doesn't think about his six very long. I think his six was pretty bad when I watched the coverage later. Um... And so suddenly I'm like, this is just, this is insane. And there's a moment on coverage you can literally see I put my head in my hands. And I'm doing that because I'm like, suddenly like things are real to me. I'm like contemplating the fact that I might win the Pro Tour. Like I'm like, what the heck is happening? Like, what is going on? Why is LSV mulligan to five? I have no idea what's occurring right now. I think it was your friend Max because he told me that he was chanting 6666 and then LSV started mulling to six and then he started chanting five 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 and then LSV it, it didn't work when he started chanting three but it, it is what it is right <laughs> yeah no I, I heard that and I actually heard a similar thing from my friends on site like where they were just they were just go, they were similarly going like go to five go to five go to five like apparently all of my friends were just trying to send me their energy insofar as that's a concept yeah and yeah I mean I guess it worked uh yeah LSV just kept mulliganing and I suddenly just thought I might win and then I was even more stressed because I looked at my hand and the seven I had kept I mean I think it's a clear keep but like was not that great. I had a lot of one drops and three lands. I was like, oh man, what if I just draw a bunch of lands and I flood out and I somehow lose this mold of four? Like, I'll feel so bad. But I mean, that didn't happen. I drew pretty well from that point. Mm. And suddenly there's this moment where I draw Venerate Loxodon. Um, and when I cast Venerate Loxodon, I knew I was going to win the, the game. I knew that nothing mattered. It didn't matter what else he had. Like, if he had Settle, if he had Aurelia, n- none of that was important. Like, this Loxodon was not going to be beaten. Like, I could play around anything. I was going to win. And at that moment, I just, I was so happy when I cast Loxon. Because, like, the thing is, like, this is one of the best moments in Magic that I think a lot of people don't get to experience. And I I understand it's pretty negative for LSV, and I apologize to him for that. But the situation for me is, I know I'm going to win the game. The game is over. But I still get to keep playing it. There's still a few more turns where I just get to revel in the fact that, like, I'm about to win the Pro Tour. Yeah. And... So I'm just there, like, with these locks on pumped up board, like, attacking. And, like, I don't know, the next turn or maybe the turn after, I cast part of the Conqueror's for lethal. I, like, 
you know, put it down. I know it's lethal and that there aren't any outs that you can possibly have. And LSV extends the hand and I suddenly, I suddenly find myself winning the pro tour and I can't even describe how, how it felt. I just, I, I could not believe it. I, I was like, I get up and I like, I put my hands on my head cause I'm like, like in, in like shock about what just happened. I just, I thought I was going to lose for so much of the match for, for like 95% of it or whatever. And, and suddenly I just, I won it. And it, it meant, it meant everything. I mean, I, it's, it, I cannot describe how much winning the pro tour meant to me. It meant a, a huge amount. I think when people experience the happiest moments of their lives, people have different things going through their minds. For some people, it would be like things start flashing back. And for other people, they just sort of lose all sense of time and space. <laughs> so I'm wondering for you, how would you describe your situation at that point in time? Uh, definitely closer to the latter. It, it wasn't a matter of like, I didn't like, I don't know, I didn't start thinking about all the things that got me there or what the future would hold or like the fact that I was platinum and cute for worlds. It was more just like I was overwhelmed by, I guess to some extent, emotion. I was just overwhelmed by how I was feeling at that moment. I was just lost in the moment, I think. I think that's the best way I can describe it. Um, I'm not a very, and it was a very weird experience for me because I will state like, I am not a very emotional person. I, I mean, I, I have self-identified as a robot more than once. Um, and I, I don't typically experience strong emotions. And I understand it's a cliche, but like a reason that I, a reason I play magic, uh, although certainly not the reason, is like, I just want to feel something. And uh, let me tell you, uh, winning the Pro Tour, I sure felt something. So that was surreal. Uh, it was amazing. Just feeling like you're on cloud nine. Yeah, I just, I was overwhelmed by pause emotion. I felt like I achieved a dream that I was, I never thought I would. What, if I ever thought I would, it would, I would think much later than that. Although I think the real answer is I thought I would never achieve it. And I just, it, suddenly it, it was, it was real. I, I just, this had happened. I had one. And yeah, I just, I couldn't even handle it. I mean... Yeah, there's a really interesting thing I want to ask about, which is only understandable if you if people already know you is that I talked to friends who watched you play in this pro tour and they actually said that you took your game to a whole new level during the top eight, that you were actually playing better as the tournament went on. So I'm curious, did that did you feel that as well? Did you feel like you were making crisper and sharper plays? Uh, maybe you were getting less nervous or I don't know, like, I'm just trying to figure out how, how you felt internally, because people who watched you play through the tournament certainly felt that way. Yeah, I definitely don't think that's crazy. Um, I mean, I, I do think I played poorly and specifically the quarterfinals, but I think that had a lot to do with the fact that I was some, more nervous and more sleepy. But I think in the semis and the finals, I played very, very well. Um, some of the better magic that I've played, uh, if, if I'm allowed to say that, uh, you know, obviously, it might just be that I'm not good enough to notice the mistakes that I'm making or what what have you. Um, and I definitely made, I can think of at least one error I made during that time. But I do think that overall, I played very well in both those matches. And uh, I don't actually think that's that unusual for me. Um, so I mentioned before that, like, one of my big problems, like, when I was growing up is that, like, I didn't do well when I was not under pressure. Like, 
when I felt like I didn't need to study for test, I wouldn't, when I felt that I wouldn't, when I like, I didn't feel enough pressure. And I've long believed that like some people play their best when they're like play testing when nothing's on the line. Uh, I'm very much the reverse in play testing. I have a hard time playing well. Cause I feel like who the hell cares if I lose this game the, the flip side of that, which is pretty positive is I typically play my best magic when it counts. I'm a good person to have, uh, in the clutch, you might say. Um, and that meant that, like, somehow when the pressure was ratcheted up so high, I was just tuned in. And I, I think it, it is consistent with my past uh, opinions of my own play that I would play better as the tournament progressed. So I think that makes a lot of sense. It's hard for me to say for certain that it's true, uh, but I it certainly seems reasonable to me. It certainly seems plausible. That's really cool. The other thing that I noticed, and I think a lot of folks noticed as they were watching the stream, is that you look very nervous physically. And I, I talked to somebody, one of your friends, and he actually clarified that that's just how you always look when you play competitively. And so I wanted to set that straight for the record. Like, were you were actually not nervous? You were actually pretty locked in? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's no, that's absolutely correct. I mean, so so there's several there's several things contributing to this. So one is like it is it is true that I I do this rocking thing when I play Magic competitively. I do it every time. I've done it for years. It has nothing to do with my mental state. It's just like something that happens to me. Uh, it might be a symptom of ADHD. Um, it might be a symptom. I, I'm like, so you could be playing in a F and M and you would do the same thing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, like I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I I'm also have been just a. To, to fully clarify, I also have been, some experts believe that I'm slightly on the spectrum, but it's d debatable. Uh, anyway, the point is, uh, it may be a symptom of something that like that, but I do it every time. It's who I am. And like the, the way I look when I play, uh, I never realized this about myself actually, but my friend Paul Dean pointed out once, which is that like when I'm playing Magic, I tend to like look kind of concerned or unhappy <laughs> even when i'm like crushing my opponent and like going to win yeah um and that means that like i don't think people should take those reactions as like nervousness it's just who i am mm -hmm. um which isn't to say i was not nervous but it's just that like my behavior in the top eight was not particularly an expression of nervousness i think yeah you certainly didn't play that way so that that's awesome it's good to know that just switching gears a little bit andrew we always want to know a little bit about our guests, maybe their backgrounds and where they're from. I know that you are currently in Ann Harbor, Michigan. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay. Is that where you grew up? Uh, yes. Uh, so, I mean, the story of this is pretty straightforward. But basically, I, yeah, I lived in Ann Harbor all through high school. Uh, I grew up here. Um, it's where my family, you know, I lived the first... Lar I, I was born here. This was the first large number of consecutive years of my life. Um, when I went to college, uh, I decided that I did not want to be in Ann Arbor anymore. So, like, where I – from people who grew up in Arbor, like, who are in my, I don't know, general situation in terms of academics and what have you, very commonly go to University of Michigan. Obviously, it's a big school in Ann Arbor. It, it has a huge number of students, so a lot of people attend there. And I decided that I didn't want that. I kind of wanted a change. So I ended up going to college in Minnesota. I went to Carleton College, which is like in a small co town called Northfield, about an hour from the Twin Cities. Um, and I kind of didn't like it. Um, 
especially if you're give. I'm not saying the college itself was a problem, but I didn't like being where I was. I liked Ann Arbor a lot more. And I think I kind of didn't realize how much I liked Ann Arbor until I was no longer there. So when I graduated, um, and I knew I was a software engineer, and I knew that like I could kind of work anywhere I wanted, because um, you know there's pretty good op- opportunities to work remotely as a software engineer, uh, I basically decided the place I most wanted to live in the world was back where I started. So I moved back to Ann Arbor, and I've been here ever since. What was it about Minnesota? Was it just the cold, or was it other things? Yeah, the, the cold's not really too different relative to Michigan, honestly. Um, I mean, it's a little colder, don't get me wrong, but it, it's kind of six of one, half dozen of the other. It, it's not enough colder that it makes a significant difference in my life. Like, I'm still dealing with snow in the winter time. you know. I'm still dealing with putting on many layers. Like, I don't think that's that big a deal. Um, I don't really like the outdoors. Uh, I've told my friends before that I'm, I'm a big fan of the indoors. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, but... Yeah, it's mostly just that, like, and it's a lot to do with people, honestly. I had, I have definitely have good friends in Minnesota, and I don't want to say that I don't, and I don't want to say that those friends aren't awesome, because they are. But at the time, at least, I had a lot more friends back here, and I had my family here, and I'm pretty close to my family. Um, I know that many people don't have that great relationship with their parents. Uh, I always kind of had a great relationship with them. Uh, I was lucky enough for that to be true, obviously, since I had no control over it. I, no one picks their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, I, and, and there were other things like, I really like the size of Ann Arbor. Like Ann Arbor is in this place where like, it's small enough that like parking downtown is never a problem that like, you're not really required to take public transit that like driving everywhere is totally reasonable basically, but it's large enough that like everything is here. Like, you know, if I, it's not like if I want to, if I want to go to a movie, there's three theaters in town. There's a wide variety of restaurants that I like, you know, I felt that like it was large enough to be complete as a city, but small enough to not have what I will describe as big city problems. Mm. That's a good balance. Sounds like I, I should visit. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an amazing city. Uh, I think I'm like pretty biased and I haven't lived that many places. So like, I don't know if, how much my word should be weighed, but you know, maybe, <laughs> Yeah, can you also tell me a bit about your family? It sounds like you're rather close to them. Yeah, so um, my my family, uh, at least my immediate family, who I'm, I'm thinking of when I say my family. Uh, so my fa- my family growing up was like me, my mom, my dad, and my brother. I have just one brother. Um, my brother is younger than I am. And um, my brother and I have had a rocky relationship, but I think that we get along decently well these days. When we were younger, it was kind of problematic. Uh, I think we some we have some issues in areas that we are similar, actually, but that's that's not the point. Uh, my parents, I have basically gotten along very well with since day one. I know many people like fight with their parents in their teenage years. I never had that. Um, my parents are awesome. Uh, well, yeah. So the, the thing is, uh, I should mention this here because it's, it's gonna my, my speaking about this is awkward if I if I don't. Uh, basically, so this year, like about I don't know six months ago, something like that, uh, I lost my father to a brain aneurysm. Um, it was extremely sudden. My father was like sixty four. He was not that old, um, not young, but not. No, that's that that's very young, and I'm 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 really sorry to hear that. Yeah, um, it's one of the worst things that's happened to me. Uh, 
I was definitely not okay for a long time after that, and I definitely did poorly at management as a direct result of that. But um, I'm not. I guess that may be small potatoes when it comes to tragedies of this na- nature. But it, it certainly is true, also. <laughs> um, and uh, but I mean, it, I really a major reason why I wanted to go back to Arbor was honestly to spend time with my parents. I mean, I still get dinner with my mom once a week for a long time. I ate dinner with my parents once a week. Uh, my dad, while he was alive, played on my trivia team uh, every week. Like I was pretty close to my, I was pretty close to my dad and I am pretty close to my mom. Um, and I, that was definitely a major factor why I wanted to go back to Arbor. I, I mean, I, I think that I get along very well with my parents as people and thing is they're very different uh but it, it works for, it i i share different traits with each of them i guess is what i'm saying so like my dad is in the space where he's like unbelievably competitive like he's just as he was sorry he was just as competitive as i as i am and so like when i was growing up we used to play chess uh i, I played competitive chess before magic um and my father and I would sometimes have like shouting matches after chess games. That's not a joke. Wow. <laughs> um, Intense. Okay. Uh, well, we both really wanted it. That's what you have to understand. Mm. And the point at which I started beating him consistently is the point at which we stopped playing chess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, so he wasn't he wasn't taking it easy on you. Uh, no. Basically, he would give me a handicap, right? So when I was like a little kid, he'd give me a queen, and then as I got older, he'd give me a rook, and then a knight, you know, um, and then eventually we were playing on even terms. Uh, but at no point did he not try his hardest. He would just give himself a handicap and then go all out. That was his his way. Um, it sounded like he was a pretty good player. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, without getting too much in chess ratings, I mean, he was he was around fifteen hundred at its peak, probably more like eleven hundred strength by the time he was an adult and like semi-retired from chess, but. Uh, yeah, uh, that, so he was pretty good. Uh, not amazing, but you know, a competitive chess player. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, it, I, I grew up doing that. And, and then the thing you have to understand is that when my dad would drive me to chess tournaments, my dad used to drive me to chess tournaments all the time. Like when you're a competitive chess player and you're in like middle school, what basically happens is your parents drive you all around every weekend. It's a ton of work. And my dad did all of that. And he was amazing at it. I mean, he would bring us food. He would give us encouragement. He would make sure everyone showed up to the tournament. He would, like, literally, like, call people's parents up and say, are you sending your son to this tournament? If not, why not? Um, He was nicer than that, but that was the gist of what he was saying. And he was, like, kind of my biggest um, supporter in competitive endeavors. I'm not saying my mom wasn't also great, but my mom is amazing, and she's an incredibly kind person. But I think my mom does not precisely understand why I want to win so badly. Like, my mom used to, like, lose games to me and my brother when we were kids intentionally because she wanted to see us happy, that kind of thing. And my dad, he got it. My dad understood why, like, I would do things like, you know, fly all over the country playing these Grand Prix to earn $250. Because, like, it wasn't about it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about... It wasn't even really about the pro points. It, it was about proving something. Um, and he he got that. And, you know, when I would tweet out updates or when I'd post updates to my Facebook page, he would, like, refresh it nonstop from home, you know, uh, at Magic tournaments. Uh, 
and he knew exactly what my pro point status was at any given time and like he knew what my pro level was and he would ask me what decks were you know where was i like known for what were my favorite deck you know he tried to like be kept keep up with it as much as he possibly could and that was a lot to lose um and in some sense i w- I, I wish he'd been around to see this pro tour win because it would have meant everything to him um just like it means everything to me but mm-hmm. Uh, life doesn't always work out that way, I guess. Yeah, it sounds sounds like you guys were cut from the same cloth. You you had a lot of similarities with him, at least in that sense. Yeah, well, I I mean, you know, I think that like most people, every uh, I'm the composition of my parents. Uh, I mean, I will say that my dad, unlike me, had like crippling issues with nervousness. And when I would play chess tournaments, he used to tell me he couldn't watch my games because he found it too nerve-wracking. Um, and... <laughs> Okay. Where, whereas you were actually okay in the moment. Uh, yeah, I, I, am pretty good with that kind of thing. Um, I, I, I think that I get my, you know, like, I think I get that from my mom is my guess, but yeah. Um, uh, and so like he, I, I don't know, it, it, it's difficult to describe how much he did for me and like how, how much the little things like added up, just like not seeing it trivia. And then like, you know, he used to drive me to the airport a lot. He really liked doing that, and I was flying all the time, so I appreciated the free rides. Um, and he, he like, it, I kind of, kind of hit me the first time I like, you know, asked a friend like to drive me to the airport. I was like, wait, why am I doing this? And I'm like, oh yeah, my father's dead. It's like it was kind of a big shock, as weird as that small moment sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of the story of my relationship with my parents i i don't know like <laughs> but both of them have always been unbelievably supportive uh regardless of the fact that i did kind of i don't know unusual things between competitive chess and competitive magic not not exactly the beaten path uh you know i didn't i didn't really play any sports in high school just was the captain of the chess team but uh <laughs> that's I, I don't know that's who i am i guess <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit more about how you transitioned from chess into magic as an outlet how did you actually get into magic initially oh yeah sure uh it's 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 kind of funny actually so the first time i ever played magic uh my parents randomly brought me some magic cards i'm not exactly sure why i'm not exactly sure how oh, they that's got unusual <laughs> uh but 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 they did um it was like the seventh edition box set it like came with a cd that you could play against right this computer and just like pre-made decks you had no control of deck selection the cards were all locked in and like the decks also had like incredibly good hate cards in them against each other which i think is probably poor game design but they did um and so i started playing on that uh and then what happened is i went to chess camp actually i went to uh the emerson chess camp which chess camp i I would subsequently go to many times a great great place for learning chess and at recess uh we there was a group of people that would gather under the gazebo and play magic um, instead of like running around or getting any physical activity um (laughs) And I quickly fell in with that crowd, and I quickly learned to play. And then I bought, I would bring with me some of the cards that I had had from this like initial purchase that my parents made. Um, and that's how it started. Um, and I, I, I then played Magic casually for years. I mean, to give you a sense of this, this, this Emerson Chess Camp that I'm describing occurred in like third grade. Like I'm like a kid. Um, yeah, seventh and, edition was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I. So all this time, I'm, like, playing chess competitively, like, all throughout elementary school, like, all throughout high school, you know, um, all throughout middle school, too. And and I'm still playing Magic, though. In fact, like, 
I'm actually, typically I'm playing magic between rounds of chess tournaments. Like my friends who I go to chess tournaments with all play to varying levels. And I'm literally like playing magic with them between rounds. And like, I remember at some point in time we instituted a rule. So my, my dad coached the chess team for my high school. And I remember we had to institute a rule called no magic at chess club. That was like a real rule that we had because uh, it was too much of a problem and people needed to prepare oh, for tournaments. it started to take over. Uh, yeah. And so I graduated high school um, and I'd been playing with my chess, my high school chess team. We were, we were very good. Uh, we won two state championships. And I, when I graduated high school, I realized that I didn't have that team anymore. You know, I was going to a new place. And the Carlton Chess Club didn't seem that interested in playing tournaments. Uh, not that they weren't good. That just, like, wasn't their scene, sort of. And so I kind of realized that, like, you know, I needed another outlet. And I'm the sort of person that I, I cannot exist without a competitive outlet. Like, I go insane. I need something to strive for, to compete at, to crush my opponents at, whatever, whatever you want to describe it. That's, like, necessary to my functioning as a person. And so I... I don't know. I looked around and I sort of realized that like, well, I like playing magic so much that like I literally do it for fun um, when I'm supposed to be playing chess to prepare for tournaments as well. Chess preparation can be a little, I don't know, can feel like a grind a lot of the time, even though I like playing chess tournaments. And I also realized that like there was this uh, SCG open coming up, SCG Cincinnati uh, was open. This is like the summer after I graduated high school. And so me and a couple of friends, uh, we all got on Magic Online, and we got on ScreenShare via, like, join.me, um, and we all started preparing for this tournament together. We worked together on a deck, and, you know, we, we tested a lot, and, like, we tried to, you know, do our best. Um, and we go to the tournament, and we, we got crushed. We did really, really poorly. Uh, I think one of us made day two and didn't cash. The other two, like, of us finished, like, five and five each. Um, and I was like, okay, well, maybe this isn't for me. But then what happens is on day two, there's a draft open. This is in the days of SCG draft opens. And the thing about this draft open is that uh, I've been playing a lot of limited at this point in time in my life. I like draft every week at my local store. Um, and I'm pretty good at my local store. Like, you know, I'm not that that's a big accomplishment. But like, I'm usually top fouring a top eighting FNM like every time. Um, and top four usually split. So that's like as far as it goes. Um, and I... This draft open, first of all, my friends crush it. Like, we're literally, like, this group of, like, eight random kids from Ann Arbor. Like, four of us are in top eight. Um, and I win the tournament. I, I win the draft open. Um, and uh, due to, like, a top four split, I, I end up with exactly $250, um, which is perhaps not that much money. But felt like a lot to me at the time because I had never had a real job and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so at that point, I was kind of hooked. Like at that point, uh, you know, that it all started. I, I started playing Grand Prix. You know, I started uh, going way out of my way to play them. I did a lot of ridiculous things in college. Like when I showed up at college, I knew I was going to be playing Fetid Magic. And I knew that that was going to happen no matter what. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's that was kind of the start of this this journey that that I know ho hopefully not ended, but just had a, a major peak, I guess I would say. Would you say that you saw success? fairly early on because I don't know how long you played the drafts at your local store. Was it something that came quite easily to you? The concepts, uh, how to draft, how to play magic, the, the basic concepts. Did, I'm just trying to figure out what was going on during that, you know, that point in time going from casual to winning the draft open. 
Yeah, uh, I honestly it did. And the other thing you, you, I should say about like this, the, the whole the, the concept of casual as it applies situation is that like, okay, so first that took about three years to clarify. I, I started playing FNM. My first FNM was in ninth grade, and then I won the draft open the summer after high school. Uh, so I, I guess four years, whatever. Yeah, and uh, the um, the thing is that so. I, I kind of have to talk about the way my group of friends played casual because I think it's a very weird thing. The thing is that, like, when we played casual, it was pretty intense. Like, my group was, like, pretty spiky. Like, we all kind of wanted to win. Card availability was a huge problem. We all had limited cards. But, like, we would build decks and we would tune them to the metagame of our casual metagame. And none, our decks were mostly, like... It's not that all of them were great. It's that all of them did the thing they were trying to do to their utmost, uh, given the cards available. And, like, by the end of it, like, by the time I won this draft open, the casual decks that we were playing with were really, really good by an objective standard. Like, the casual decks we were playing with would crush any standard deck, is I guess what I mean. Right. It wasn't, like, an 80-card deck. It was very finely tuned, efficient, and you guys were playing to win. That's what it sounds like to me. Yes, exactly. That's that's precisely correct. And so, honestly, at the time I played my first FNM, I kind of think I was already a pretty reasonable Magic player. It took me a while to understand drafting, right? Like, you know, I, you know, I didn't just walk in and, like, know how to draft. But as far as my actual in-game plays, I sort of think from day one I was pretty good relative to the people at the store I was playing at. Um, not like the best in the store or anything but like certainly not the worst either um, sure you probably knew that you had to attack before casting your spells and stuff like that that you just picked up right exactly like none of that was like that wasn't like news new to me like i i i got it you know and i honestly like even before chess and even before magic i i was always good at strategy games i mean like almost any game um like i mean i i yeah i was like a really strong Stratego player as a kid. I understand that sounds weird, but it's true. Um, it, it, it is definitely true that I am gifted in the area of playing turn-based strategy games for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know why, but mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so you, you, you win the draft open and you start getting onto the GP train, right? Yes, that's exactly right. And so... I'm playing all these GPs and I'm grinding and I'm grinding and I'm like driving. I'm not like flying any Grand Prix at this point in my life, but I'm I'm I am going I'm driving pretty far. And actually, the time I'm driving the farthest is in the summer. And the reason is at this point in time, like in my early college, I don't have a group of people at my college who will drive to tournaments with me. Like I have a group of Magic friends who I play with, but like we're mostly like cubing or like drafting. Like we're not like they're, they're not like driving five hours to play a constructed Grand Prix um, or a limited Grand Prix for that matter. <laughs> so um, what happens is, uh, but in the summers I do back in an Arbor, I do at home. And so there's this one Grand Prix, a uh, GP Boston Worcester. And what happens is I drive literally. So it's, it's 12 hours straight. It was like 14 in practice because doing 12 hours straight is lunacy. Um, and I literally, I'm it's summer. So I have nothing going on. Um, and I drive, all of these 14 hours to, to Boston and uh, I play this Grand Prix. And what you should know about me at this time is that I'm playing a lot of modern. Uh, my first PTQ top eight was in modern, um, uh, like around this time. And I, I pretty much play exclusively Tron at this point. Uh, I grew up playing a lot of Tron. 
um, which I don't know, kind of means I'm one of those people, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and what happens at Boston Worcester is that like the metagame that weekend is perfect for Tron. Tron at this time is not very respected. I think it was underestimated for a long time. Um, and everyone at this, this, this GP is playing Jundar pot, just Jundar or pot as long as, as far as I can see. And both those are very favorable matches for Tron. So I play this GP that I've literally driven 14 hours to, and I don't top eight because uh, it's like a 2,000 player GP, uh, but I do 13-2. And 13-2 is good for a Pro Tour invite. Uh, they don't pay for the flight at this point in time. They do now, but mm-hmm. at this point in time, if you 13-2'd, if you, 13 toed, you, bought, you paid your own way. Um, but my parents are very generous. My mom immediately agrees to pay when I ask her about this. And uh, I go to PT Hawaii, PT Cons. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of the story of my first breakthrough moment, I guess. Um, I had cast a few GPs before that, uh, all in Modern Limited. At this point in time, I've never cast a standard GP. Um, I'm not a standard player at all. I play almost at all, only Modern Limited. Uh, but uh, yeah, and, and that's kind of the beginning for me, I guess. Um, <laughs> This is sort of tangential, but I'm also curious if you've ever tried your hand at Legacy or have gone through some Legacy GPs. Uh, I think I played like exactly one Legacy GP. Uh, it was one of the GP Vegases, so like I was there for other reasons. Oh yeah, it was a big one with modern and everything there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I didn't do particularly well. Um, and I don't think I'm very good at Legacy. Uh, I'm not. You know, magic is magic at the end of the day. I don't think that I am, like, a heinously bad legacy player who can never win. Um, but when I did play this GP in Vegas, I 6-3'd, which was good enough for day two, but then I dropped because I wanted to play another of the GPs. Uh, and I think that's, like, the only legacy GP I've ever played. I've occasionally showed up to a local store, had someone ship me a deck, and just played a little legacy for fun because it's, like, new and different to me. But I think, I, I mean, for the most part, I fall into the the set of series players who does not play much legacy for better or for worse. I'm not trying to say that's like the right call or the wrong call, but that is kind of where I'm at. Sure. Yeah. You're focused on modern and limited and some of the things that they have more events for. Totally. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, these days I play quite a bit of standard, uh, but I, when I was growing up, I certainly didn't. Um, actually it's, it's a funny story. GP Minneapolis, which was my second GP top eight and my third qualification. Uh, I, was the first standard GP that I cashed. Um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, uh, it, it was that was really funny. I, I didn't think that would happen either. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I've also heard in doing some research before this interview that you seem to be a huge force in organizing the Ann Arbor magic logistics scene in the sense that you help make sure that people get rides and find the right places to stay. It's a lot of things that, quite honestly, is a lot of hassle. Like, I had a, I talked to one of your friends, and he said that he didn't realize how much work it was until he tried to do one of these things where Andrew was not involved. Then he realized, oh crap, that's actually a lot involved. <laughs> and uh, I've actually even heard that you book flights for some of your friends. So I, I'm really curious about this one. Is, I mean, it sounds like you're very integral to this whole thing. What made you decide to? to take it on for, for your group? 
Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, okay, I'll, I'll answer that. But to, to do that, I have to I have to take a step back from it, which is to say, sure. so right after I qualified my first pro tour, because this, this is very relevant to your question. So, so right after I had my first pro tour, what happened is I got invited in Minneapolis to an invite-only playtesting group. This playtesting group, the goal was we were going to grind PTQs, we were going to get on the PT. Um, most people in this group had played at least one PT already. That was kind of the qualification to get in. And I had that from the PT Hawaii. And um, this group was organized by Matthias Hunt, who I've mentioned before is, I consider to be my magic mentor. Um, and Matthias uh, basically took the best players he knew, none of whom knew each other, and invited them all to this play group, um, including me. Uh, I had met Matthias at a random Minnesota PTQ. Um, and I, he had beaten me, but he was impressed by my play. That's like what happened. Um, so, uh, and in this play group, I got a lot better. I got a lot better very quickly because I was playing with people. I'm kind of at my own level for the first time in a while. Um, and the thing is that in this group, the role that I play in the Arbor group was Matthias's role. Matthias invited everyone to play test sessions. He said, we will be at this time in this place. Like, you know, we're going to play test for this tournament, which we are all going to, everyone will show up for practice and, and, he would book all the hotels and organize logistics, like what the cars are, who's picking up whom, which was complicated because I was an hour away in Carlton. So like sometimes someone had to drive down to me or I drove to them or like it, it wasn't so straightforward. And then like, where's the car going to be left? There, there were a lot of questions. And Matthias just ran that. He just made it happen. And so to some extent, I learned to do the thing that I do for the Ann Arbor community from Matthias, honestly. Um, because then what happened is I graduated college, right? And I knew I wanted to move back to Arbor. There was no question in my mind. I moved home and I was like, you know what I should do? I should do exactly that thing that he did. And so I organized the playtest group. Uh, the playtest group has kind of fallen apart for various reasons. But for a long time, we were meeting once a week at my house to test whatever our next tournament was. Um, I booked all the hotels. I made all the car arrangements. I did all the logistics things. Um, that must, And honestly, Matthias showed me how to do many of them. Like he... Like one trick I use a lot is I use the like unpublished fair hotel sites, like uh, stuff like Hotwire, uh, uh, Priceline Express deals, uh, Expedia unpublished fares. There's like a bunch of them that like basically let you book hotels last minute for like lower rates. And Matthias showed me that. Like I didn't even know that was a concept. And Matthias was like, here's what you do when you're booking a hotel. You start at these sites. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and so he kind of showed me how to be a logistics manager, in addition to kind of how to run a magic play test. Um, and most of what I do in Arbor is replicating that very successful group. Many of the people in that group qualified for the PT again, I would claim as a direct result of that group. Uh, I was not one of them, but I think the group as a whole was very successful. Out of the eight of us, I think three qualified for that pro tour. Well, that's amazing. Well, the fact that your group had those results, but also the fact that you kind of took Matthias's framework and you not only paid it forward, but you were able to, to, to keep that going to, to, to a lot of success. I, I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely true that now, like, it's kind of weird. Like when, when we go to a tournament, the Ann Arbor guys and me, um, everybody expects that, like, I just will book a hotel and I'll, all I do is like get a head count. And I assume everyone's who usually stays with me stays with me. And I just make a reservation for that group, sometimes an Airbnb. 
um, and it just occurs. And then everyone knows that like if they message me, I will send them the information. And then like typically the day before, I send out some messages that are like, okay, here's the carpool. This car is these people in it. This car is these people in it. This car will pick up this person this time, this person that time, this person at that time. And like I just plan it all out. And the thing is, I'm kind of into that. Like, I'm into, like, the logistical optimization. Like, questions like, okay, so this car has to get these three people who are available at different times. Or, like, and, and like, what's what's the right ordering? Like, should one of them be switched to the other car so that one car can leave earlier? Should we have an early and late car? Like, just trying to make things work out such that everyone is the happiest. Uh, I like the sub-game that is logistics. Very nice. Sounds like you've always been quite organized then. Uh kind of it's it's it sort of depends on what you're talking about like the thing is like for, for instance organizing my room doesn't feel like a sub game so i'm not <laughs> good at it yeah we all we all have different focus areas yeah organizing the room sure but but like this does feel like a sub game that i can win mm-hmm. um i was super into like my college schedule when i was in college like i i literally like sometime in my sophomore year planned out every class i was going to take till i graduated because it sounded like fun um, but cause that felt the same way. Like I was trying to, you know, check off all my distribution requirements, like make sure I took all the classes I wanted to make sure I got all the requirements for my major, like do a whole bunch of different things at once. And like everything depended on everything. It was like, oh, well it turns out there's electives I want to take at this time slot these next two years. So I have to take algorithms in this time right now because mm-hmm. I'll never be able to take it again because other things will conflict with it. Like that kind of thing. I see. So you just have a mind for these kind of things. Well, in the in the areas where you feel like they are sub games worth winning or worth competing in, that is. Yeah, sort of. Um, things that don't feel like games, I can't do this for. But things that feel like games, yeah, uh, I I'm somewhat inherently good at. That is very cool. And while we're on the topic of talking about teams and groups, what can you tell me about? Team Delta Flyers and the origin story behind that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's a pretty funny story. Uh, so basically, uh, for Team Grand Prix, I uh, well, it's slightly complicated, but for Team Limited Grand Prix, uh, I always team with the same team every time, and I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. And that team is me, Max McVitie, and Tyler Hill. Those three people, it's always the same. At some point in time, Matt Sperling... Uh, was making a power rankings of teams, which he does regularly. I mean, power rankings for team tournaments, for whatever reason, have become a thing in the community. And so he was, he like made a Facebook post and the, the deal was like, anyone can post here. Like you can just post and like state your team and he will rank them in the power rankings. Although many teams got the like, not good enough to be ranked, but that's fine. I posted, and the thing is, at the time that I posted this, uh, Tyler Hill was a gold level, uh, Max McFeedy was a silver level pro, um, and I'd not have pro level, but uh, this is not a good year for me, but that's okay. And, you know, I know that Matt Sperling doesn't know who any any of us are. He's, like, going to be like, who the hell are these randos? So when he posted it and I commented, I put our pro levels in because I wanted Matt Sperling to, like, get that, like, this team is not three guys from a local store. This is a gold pro, a silver pro, and some guy. But, you know. Um, <laughs> We're legit. Yeah, basically. So I did that, and Sperling comments like, no need to include your Delta flight status. Um, Oh, Savage Beats. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, then in his article, when listing our team, he didn't give us a ranking in the top 25 or whatever. He just, like, 
pasted a photo of that comment um, and, and, and like <laughs> nice. basically taunt us, roast us mercilessly, which was like pretty hilarious, uh, I admit. Um, I, I, I honestly, every, every interaction I have personally with Sperling has been awesome. I, I think that Sperling likes daggering people because it's funny, but like is actually a very good natured person in like yeah. real he can, he can dish it and he can also take it. So yeah, yeah. So, but then what happens at this tournament though, which is great is, uh, so my team does really well at this tournament. I think we come in 11th or something. Um, anyway, we have a good cash finish. And, uh, so when this happens, uh, Sperling's team, which is the uh, Scottsdale Foundation, which is uh, him, uh, Dave Williams, and Paul Rietzel, who always teams with, actually finished like four places below us. They came like 15th. And so my team is obviously ecstatic about this fact, given, given the article. So what occurs is I take a picture of the standings and I tweet at Sperling, um, sucks to suck, hashtag Delta Flyers. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, from that point forward, my team has just been named Delta Flyers. We just kind of made our own. Uh, we just always refer to ourselves as that. Um, that's and, who we and are. And I, I hear that you have this ritual of doing something on day twos, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So then I decided to play with the joke to the maximum extent possible. So I purchased a Delta Polo shirt uh, for I don't know, like fifteen dollars or something, and uh, I now wear this like just gray polo shirt with a little Delta symbol on it that says and it says delta like just like the logo um on every day two of team gps and usually no one gets it like my opponents like don't understand what the heck i'm doing like they're just yeah, like this why, guy work for delta I, airline or something <laughs> i've literally yeah i've gotten the question a lot of times but honestly i don't care like i find it hilarious and <laughs> it is hilarious um, <laughs> so i'm just i just keep wearing it like just every subtly like in just every team event on day two i just am wearing this delta flyer shirt um, but yeah, I, I might like purchase Max one, so he has to wear it. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> we'll, we'll new see team uniform. about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's tricky cause like, you know, we're everyone on, everyone on Delta Flyers is sponsored, you know, like I'm, I'm sponsored by Carport Live, like they're sponsored by RIW. Um, and so like, I'm not sure if we could actually do this, but it, it is definitely entertaining to me. You'll have to find a way. You'll have to all wear maybe Delta caps or something or find a find a, a something you can stitch onto the shirt, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess that's what we'll have to do. Um, or you have to, I don't know, make Delta playmats or some crazy thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll have to investigate that. I, I, custom playmats aren't that expensive. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, um, and I mean, I just, I just will say about the Delta Flyers. I do actually think Delta Flyers uh, is a team that works really well together. Our strengths are super complementary. Uh, I think team synergy, and specifically team limited, is super important because you kind of have like an hour to accomplish this really hard task, so of deck building, and it's really important that like you get everything done and that like no one is overlapping and that you're kind of on the same page and like you don't have time to like endlessly debate debate like how good cards are like like in the abstract you kind of have to just like know where people are at on things um so that you can have a more a higher level discussion sort of and th my team gets along super well and, and, our, and our breakdown of our team is like pretty straightforward basically so i am the strongest sealed deck builder on my team i carry in the deck building process uh i like run the show call the shots during that portion uh while i'm doing that uh what happens is t hill tyler hill uh, is like a mad scientist. He's like a madman. Th think, think like Sam Black. 
he's just like crazy idea after crazy idea, like literally like 10 insane ideas every build. And I have to like shoot them down, but recognize them when they're great. That's mm-hmm. that's like what I have to do. And while this is happening, Max McVitie, so Max McVitie is like an aggro savant. He only plays aggro, but he plays it very, very well. Max McVitie, we just hand him aggro cards, and all he does is like tell us whether the aggro cards he's currently staring at are better or worse than the like previous set. And he endlessly analyzes and fine-tunes his aggressive deck list for that tournament, like his 40 cards that he's going to play. Um, and and so that's our dynamic. And honestly, it's great because uh, the trade-off of me having to carry in the sealed portion is that I think that I have the weakest technical play on my team, or at least that's been true historically. Um, I seem to be pretty good right now. But uh, so like when the actual games came, I would often have the worst record because the worst technical play. But my contribution was done. Like if we all had great duck decks, then I had done my part. And it didn't matter if I had the worst. If I had two six day one, which happened once, but our because our team six toot. Um, but yeah, that's that's the story of the Delta Flyers. Right. It sounds like a really good combination. That's always what you want in the team is that you want people with different skill sets and you're willing to work together to for lack of a better word, synthesize them together. Uh, yeah, precisely. Um, and I think we, yeah, I think we do that pretty well. Um, (laughs) that's awesome. And switching gears again, slightly, I've heard that you can be very opinionated on certain things. It's not just magic or magic cards or decks, but also about food. So what can you tell me about your food <laughs> power rankings? Uh, yeah, that's very fair. Uh, I um, do a thing a lot of people do, uh, which is that I state my opinions as fact. Uh, I don't like, I will freely acknowledge that I do this. I'm not like, you know, it's not like a secret. Um, and like when it comes to food, I will make statements like, you know, this place is better than that place. Like this is the right place to go for this in the city. I mean, obviously the city I know the best is in Arbor. Um, my lifestyle is that I eat out pretty much every meal. I don't really cook. So I'm pretty, I go to restaurants all the time and I'm pretty opinionated about the best ones in any given like category. Um, and probably the category that I have the most expertise on is like burgers. Like, and the reason is like when I was a kid, I was kind of a picky eater. Um, I kind of grew out of it, but like as a result, I didn't eat that many foods growing up. And one of the foods I was willing to eat as a kid was burgers. So I ate just like very large numbers of them um from many different places like wherever we were like think like my family goes out to a restaurant and then like no matter what's on the menu i just order a burger that's kind of what happened um like you know it's a steakhouse or it's like you know a face famous their seafood like none of that mattered i would just get a burger um and so that meant that i had a large set of examples to draw from so then at some point i was like well if burgers are my thing i should just like really do it right so i like found lists of like places that were highly rated by food critics that were burger places like best burgers in an arbor or like I travel somewhere and I'd look up the best burger in that city. And so I think that like I have a pretty uh, refined burger palette, I guess is what I'm saying. (laughs) And I can say that in an arbor, uh, I think the best burger is unequivocally and unarguably and beyond debate Frida Petito's, which is an amazing Cuban inspired burger place uh, in the city. Tell me why they have the best burgers. Uh, okay. So it has a lot to do with the like fixings, like the, the things on it. Um, they have very, uh, well, they're, they, they put an egg on it, like sunny side up. 
and I think they cook it like just right to put on the burger. Um, and then they have Munster cheese, which I think is a great compliment to the egg. Like you got to get the Munster cheese with the egg, just because like it kind of blends the egg's flavor. I, it's not, I guess it's kind of nice for a texture perspective. The egg is, is sort of runnier, and the Munster cheese is smooth, and it it all kind of works. And uh, you know it, I and then you know they obviously cook a great patty. Uh, you know medium to medium rare by default of course they, they will go medium rare if you don't say anything which is the right answer um <laughs> and yeah uh, it's it's just awesome um i mean they've they've they i mean i'm not the only one who thinks this i don't want to make this sound like this is like my secret place like they have won national awards for their burgers they have like a million trophies for like burger competitions in the in the restaurant if you go there but uh yeah they are amazing um and i think anyone who's in an arbor uh should eat at free potatoes for sure it's great that is an awesome, awesome endorsement of Frida. And have you also thought about becoming a burger food critic? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, so, <laughs> that does sound kind of like fun. I mean, I, I'm it's not very really niche, sure exactly but how... I just just kind of came to mind. Yeah, I'm not really sure what that would look like, but I definitely it's definitely the sort of thing I'd be interested in doing. Like, I don't like Webster, David Ochoa. Has, has carved this niche for himself where he's like the magic food guy like that's his thing and he he would be, write these articles that like briefly mentioned magic but were really about food and i don't know maybe i could move into kind of space like that at some point where but as long as the food is only burgers um, <laughs> i just i'm worried that's too niche at that point like i'm only the, my audience is like magic players who like specifically burgers and specifically like high quality like pricey side burgers like i just don't know how many how many views that would get uh, which <laughs> ultimately is this, the point of magic articles i think for the most part so i i don't know if that would work but it, it is it is definitely something i like talking about and like doing um that's that's awesome i like the fact that you 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 talk openly about it so that others can benefit from your 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 insights really yeah, and I mean, I woman also like I, I try to get recommendations for food like whenever I go somewhere now. So like like you know if I'm going to Atlanta, I'm gonna ask someone who used to live in Atlanta. Like this literally happened uh, when I was in Atlanta for the pro tour. I had a coworker who used to work in Atlanta at, at my company, and I asked her like, okay, so like what are like five good places like near the convention center that like you would recommend? And the reason for that is partially like so when you're on a magic trip, right? Like you're you're somewhere in the world, and you're not going to get to do much fun stuff because you're playing Magic all the time. But what you do get to do is you, you, you have these dinners, right? And every dinner, you have a big group of Magic players. It's really fun. It's probably my favorite – it's one of my favorite portions of every Magic trip. You all sit around the table, and you're going to eat. And so I kind of want to make those dinners great because they're kind of the most touristy thing I get to do on these Magic trips. Um, so I, I definitely research all of the I, – I try to research – restaurants every time i go somewhere now um even though uh i definitely just randomly order a burger a lot still um that's awesome yeah you're right i mean it doesn't matter where we go we have to eat and we're eating with our friends and so it's one of the best things that we can do and spend some time planning for it really yeah uh that's that's exactly yeah that's that's how i feel and it, part of it's definitely also the fact that like when you travel for magic, well, okay, maybe everyone does do this, but like at least because me and my group of friends are mostly people with full-time jobs, like traveling on the weekends, like we're not going to be in that city extra days to like do fun stuff most of the time. So the food, the meals are all you get, so better make the most of them. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. So Andrew, just looking forward, can you share with me maybe some of the goals that you have that may be magic-related? 
it can be short term, it can be long term, it's your choice. But what's on the horizon for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, so, okay, so now I'm platinum. I won the Pro Tour, and that makes you instantly platinum, which is surreal. I never thought I'd be platinum in my life, but here I am, a platinum pro. Uh, so I'm thinking that, like, the thing is, though, okay, like, I was flying to GPs to play them when I had no pro points. Um, I mean, that literally happened. Uh, GPs are fun uh, for me. Um, if they weren't fun for me, I wouldn't play them. It's, I mean, that's like, I would never have done all the things that I did to get to this point. Um, if, if GPs were not fun in and of themselves, I, I mean, I just think that like your odds of actually qualifying for a pro tour through a GP are just not that great. Uh, I say that even though I've done it like four times, uh, it's just that like so much has to go right in any given weekend to top eight a tournament of that size. Um, but the thing is, I still have a lot of friends playing GPs. None of my friends are going to stop playing GPs. And most of my friends are not in this position of being platinum regards their pro points. So like they have good reason to play GPs. And in addition to that, uh, as a platinum pro, I get paid appearance fees for a certain number of GPs per cycle. Um, and so that's an additional incentive to go. So I kind of don't think I'm going to change very much with respect to my GP tenants. I'm just going to still play a lot of GPs, try to keep doing well, uh, not, you know, even if it doesn't really matter because I'm platinum anyway. Uh, but I'm sure that when that automatic platinum stops, I will be grateful for the fact that like current me has played a lot of GPs and earned like a buffer of pro points and that kind of thing. Um, and honestly, what I'm looking to accomplish is mostly just like, I want to stay on the train. I want to play all the pro tours for the next several years. Um, I would like to not embarrass myself at worlds. Uh, I don't expect to have a good result, but like I would like to win some matches. I'd like to avoid like an O teen or a one fifteen or something like that. Um, and I mean, yeah, having another good pro tour finish was, wouldn't hurt. Um, I will mention here also that like, so I have never cashed a pro tour prior to this one. Um, it is a fact that like, uh, I have either failed to cash or, or won all pro tours that I have played. So I would like to cash more pro tours. I would like to prove that this isn't like a fluke event that like, even if I'm not someone who's good enough to like top eight pros on the regular i am someone who's good enough to like cash them on the regular which i think is potentially true um so yeah i mean i, I think that's most of my goals just like maintain pro status i'm gonna keep keep playing gps maybe that's not a goal but it's a thing um and uh show that i'm good enough to cash pro tours on a consistent basis have you thought about doing more in terms of outside of playing the game because i know that more opportunities are likely to have come to you now and i know a lot of the really, really good all-time players, they also have content jobs. I'm curious if that's a thing for you or if that's if you're interested at all in that. Uh, I am. Um, I, I definitely am. Uh, it's kind of tricky. And the reason I think it's tricky is, so I think the best way from a like promotion perspective to promote oneself as a Magic player is to stream. Um, I think streaming is kind of the method of the future. It's kind of what everybody's moving towards. Uh, which is good news for Cardboard Live, uh, but that's, <laughs> yeah. that, that's not the point. Uh, yeah. The point is, uh, I think that, um, I think I'm not well set up for, for streaming. I think that, like, I am very analytical. I think that I am pretty insightful. I think that I have a lot of theory, which means that, like, my analysis of magic-related things is pretty on point. Uh, but what I think I am not is particularly entertaining. I don't think I'm good at, like, being happy in a beat. And, I, I mean, 
thing is, I'm a very happy person, but I'm not a very outwardly happy person. And Matthias, who does commentary, so like does this as a day job, would tell you that like you have to show like four times the emotion you want the audience to see when you're uh, performing. They they will not. It, it takes so much more to like get them to to understand how you feel than it does for you to actually feel it. And I just don't do that at all. I'm not a very emotive person. Um, and that means I think I'm very poorly set up for streaming, which is unfortunate because I think it's kind of the right way to go. Uh, I think that for all the same reasons I'm a bad fit for streaming, I think I am a good fit for writing, which is why I immediately reached out to Cedric and wrote this SCG article following the Pro Tour win. Um, but, I mean, and maybe, I definitely wouldn't, I would be pretty willing to do some sort of regular writing thing um, if I had the opportunity. Um, it's tricky, though, because... You're, you're always in the spot where, like, there's a lot of smaller sites, and you can write for one of them, and they won't pay you that well, and you won't get that many views, but, like, you can build up your chops, you know, improve your craft. You know, I don't think I'm that great a writer yet, uh, simply because I have not done it that much. I don't think I'm, like, naturally deficient or anything, but I don't have, you know, people... Yeah, you need to put in the reps, just like anything. Exactly. And I haven't, really. I mean, I freely admit that. I, you know, this, this actually article I wrote was my fourth or fifth magic article in my life. Like, it's not something I've done a huge amount of, but... That's definitely the content production path I see myself going down. But see, that comes with it with a whole lot of other questions, right? Like, okay, let's say like the best case scenario happens. Like, let's say a major site like CFB or SCG or even a smaller site offered me a regular writing position tomorrow. They just came up to me and said, hey, Andrew, we'd like you to write articles regularly and we'll even pay you a decent amount, um, wh whatever that means. Uh, the thing is, now I have to ask questions like, okay, so like, what does that mean for my day job? Like... Does that mean I'm going to work less hours? Does that mean that like I'm going to quit my job and try to play magic full time? Like, I don't know if I want to do those things. Uh, that's a lot to lose. Uh, you know, like I'm a software engineer. I'm, I'm like fairly well paid. Like, I, you know, it's a lot of money to give up. Uh, but magic is amazing. Like, you know, maybe I'd just be a lot happier if I just tried to play magic full time. So I'm just not sure, um, honestly. I'm interested, I would state that I am interested in writing, um, but I'm not sure what it would mean if I started writing regularly. Um, it, so I guess I'm just, I guess, you know, your guess is as good as mine. Um, <laughs> we'll have to see how things play out. Yeah, and you know, I think life is one of those things where sometimes you don't know how things will play out, but you're sort of along for the journey and just see what happens. You know, you, you have the Star City Games article now, you might learn something from the feedback. Uh, you might have an opportunity to come to you tomorrow and just keep your options open. And I, I like the fact that you're just being very self-aware too of what you're good at and what you need to improve on. And, and that's, that's really refreshing to hear actually in this day and age. Yeah, well, again, I try to be, I think that one of my strengths is that I'm pretty self-aware. I, I like, I don't, believe that I'm good at everything. That's not to say I'm not good at some things. I think that there are things that I'm excellent at. Uh, but I, I don't think that I'm like some sort of superhero who's good at everything. It, it's the sort of thing where like, if you ask me what my deck's matchups are on any given weekend, I will never tell you that it's favorite against everything. I don't think I've ever claimed that. Um, because it's not. Nothing is. If someone's telling you that, it means that like they are not good at like correctly evaluating the truth they, they are not good at making 
only the most limited claims possible about their deck, which is what they should be doing. They should only tell you what they are confident about. They should tell you what it's bad against, what it's good against, and let you make an informed decision. Um, and I think that's also the right attitude to have if, like, you're collaborating with people, like you're on a team. You know, like, it's really hard if, like, one of your teammates just tells you this deck's amazing, beats everything, and you're like, well, I, I never... I can't believe you because that's never true. Nothing beats everything. It's never like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's always like, well, it's good against these things. It's bad against these things. These cyborg cards help. If people come ready for it, it's worse. It's very complicated. Like, explanations of that form, I think, are much more useful, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, there are some very rare exceptions, as in this card is going to be banned this weekend. So it's probably the best deck right now. But uh, you're right, like 99% well, sure, of the yes. time. <laughs> I'm just throwing an exception out there. But because you're talking about being self-aware and you know really trying to look at things critically, I also wanted to ask you, if you could actually go back in time five years as a Magic player or even just as a human being, is there something that you would tell the, the younger Andrew? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not too sure. I mean, the thing is like, so five years ago, let me just think about where where my life was at. I was a junior in college, I think, because uh, I was 20. Uh, I am not sure whether or not I was working with Matthias' test group at that point. I had either like just started working with it or it was like just before I had started working with it, them, I think. I think. Or maybe that was all senior year. I'm not sure. It was around that time that I started working with them. Um, and I had played my first pro tour or was like soon to play it um see i don't know a lot of the things my my general approach to magic isn't that different than it was then um honestly i've always tried to be self-aware and i always try to like know who's better than me and know where i stand and know what i'm good and bad at and like that kind of thing um and i don't think i've gotten noticeably better than that in that time i mean i think gotten better at magic but it's not like I'm just I'm just not sure there's any single piece of advice I could give myself that would like real. It's not like there's some epiphany I had. You know, it's like, oh man, and, and I know for some people there are. I'm not trying to like disparage that. Like, I know that like if you asked Max that, like Max would be my friend. Like Max went through this stage of his life where he was playing only aggro decks, and then he tried to expand his range to play other decks, and then he realized actually this whole thing was a misstep. If I want to win, what I should do is only play aggro decks ever and not ask questions and not try to draft anything else and not playing the construction and be like really rigid. And so maybe he could tell himself, his past self, just do what you're good at. But I don't know if I really have an epiphany like that. I don't know if there's one thing I realized about my game that just like changed everything for me. Like I, it was kind of just playing a lot, like getting in my thousand hours or whatever, like a lot of small improvements here and there, like no single defining moment. I just don't know if I really have one. Um, I mean, as far as as a person, it's a different question. I think that college me was not always the best at maintaining non-magical relationships with people. Um, not like necessarily in a romantic sense, although not necessarily not in that sense either. Just like in a keeping in touch with people sense. Uh, I tried somewhat, but I think I should have tried harder. Um, ultimately, like one of the things I'm very grateful for in Magic is that I have friends all over the world that I see regularly, and I think I could have a few more friends if I was willing to go a little farther, make it happen. I guess that's about the wisest thing I have to tell myself. I, I don't think I could really make past me life 
that much easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really good, well-reasoned answer. I like that. I like that. Do you have any shout-outs that you want to give to anybody at all? Yeah. Again, most of the people that I shout out in Magic Context I've already talked about. Um, Max, my mom, and Matthias were all integral to every part of my Magic career. Um, and I mentioned them in my Pro Tour speech. And I'll mention them again here just because they're awesome. Uh, Max is always my partner in crime. We played together for every tournament. We were great together. I, Max is amazing. Matthias is a major reason I'm where I am today. It's because of him. And my mom, as I said, I'm very close to. She's incredibly supportive. She paid for my ticket to my first pro tour. She did, she did a lot for me. Um, and I guess I'll just also say that, you know, I'm not sure the extent to which I believe in any sort of afterlife or anything like that. But um, I'll say that, you know, I miss my dad and he would be very proud to see this moment. And um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll shout out his, I don't know, deceased self <laughs> uh if that makes any sense i think he would be very proud and uh, i'm getting a little bit emotional here as well and I, I i think if there is something you know after him passing away in terms of a place in the world i think i think he'd be very proud looking down on you right now and uh and seeing what you have achieved yeah i i think so as well i mean again he really got the competition thing and he would real I think he more than most people that I interact with regularly would understand uh, what the pro tour win means to me, and it's a lot. But yeah, that's that's about all I have to say on the shout out front. That's awesome. So thank you so much, Andrew, for taking the time to talk to me today on Humans and Magic. I couldn't have asked for a better conversation. I felt like I got a chance to know you a little bit, and I am so grateful to you for sharing what you had to share. Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, it was honestly really awesome to be here. I, I also enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yep, later. This concludes our episode. Please subscribe to Humans and Magic on iTunes or on SoundCloud to ensure that you get new episodes as they are released. To learn more about Humans and Magic, please visit humansandmagic.com. And to support Humans and Magic, please go to patreon.com slash jamessu. That's J-A-M-E-S-H-S-U. We'll see you next time.